Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Joseph Federico, the co-founder and executive director of Stray Paws Animal Haven, which is an all-volunteer nonprofit that focuses heavily on TNR and uses industry best practices to target and minimize community cat overpopulation at the root. As many of you know, overpopulation is an extreme issue in the animal welfare world. Not only does it contribute to the spread of diseases, but it plays a huge role in the amount of animals that are euthanized in shelters due to overcrowding. So with that said, we were super excited to bring Joseph on to talk about the importance of TNR programs and how this organization is working to make today better than yesterday for animals and humans alike. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hi, Joseph. How are you? Hello. I'm doing fine, Bridget. Thank you. We're so glad to have you on, personally, because I'm a huge cat lover. And also, dogs get so much attention all the time. So it's about time we we give them their due, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plenty of cats to help out. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. So I'm wondering if you can tell us, how did Stra- uh, Straight Paws Animal Haven first begin? I was, I'm not sure if I should say apprenticing or volunteering. It's all sort of the same where I started about 10 years ago with another organization that was doing TNR. And I learned a whole lot from them about what trap, neuter, return was. Our backyard was something we needed to help take care of with the program and after we fixed the cats in our neighborhood, I wanted to stay and stay involved with that. And I asked if I could volunteer. And it wasn't long before I was helping them inventory the traps and teach people how to do the job. I created a video for them and we went on to expand the TNR program in transportation ways and things that I was helpful with there. And I noticed that in the general area of my original volunteering was on the western side of Los Angeles, that things were needed more, even more so on the east side or the south areas or near Long Beach. I mean, there's a lot that could be done to help the other side of Los Angeles more and perhaps even entertain getting towards those outer regions, those other counties that don't seem to have the same resources that we have. So we started Stray Paws Animal Haven in an area that was kind of located between two of the main shelter organizations for LA County, which is Baldwin Park and Downey. We found ourselves in the El Monte area. And that was a great place because we could reach several directions and be able to get to the outer areas of LA County and support people who needed to get trapped new to return into their own function. So we did that and we were expecting to do resources, lend them traps, teach them how to do it and get them to us on time to take the cats somewhere to get fixed. We found that 
we were able to line ourselves up well with the city of El Monte, the animal control officers of El Monte, and a great organization that brought surgical units to our building, mobile units to our location. So we started making appointments and having surgical practices done on the property with about 200 appointments a week. So we've grown quick. We've come up about a year into our existence to get to where we're doing a couple hundred or more cats a week. Wow. That is very efficient. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we got excited. I, we really didn't expect that we would get well connected so quickly. But TNR is really growing. TNR is becoming very, very much informative. I shall I say people have been informed about TNR more than before. The word of mouth is spreading, the effectiveness is being taught and it's being acquainted to every community in Southern California. And we're really noticing a rise on demand where we're going to need more surgery appointments soon. Oh my gosh. Well, so I'm wondering, can you walk us through exactly what happens when, when you're TNRing animals? Like where does it begin and how does the cycle go? Well, there is a process and the beginning process, the the start is the education and learning how it's done, how it's done safely and effectively to protect the cats and to protect your home because there's an involvement that neither the cat nor the human are very acquainted with or very used to each other. So we teach safety, we teach the respect of the animals, we teach the effectiveness of being kind and humane about the practice. Every detail in our training is made to be sure that the cat has less stress, that there is an effective examination, that there is something that the cat will benefit more than just having been altered. So we work with a real conscious effort of everybody, including the doctors and the technicians, of course, but the trappers, the people who learn how to do this. And when you learn how to do this, you get the cats acquainted with the trap you actually make appointments where you catch stray or feral cats on the day before surgery and you protect them in the traps, which are covered and quiet and safe indoors. The day before surgery is the trapping period and the food is removed at a proper time so it's not in any way harmful the next morning with anesthesia. So they arrive early in the morning after keeping the cat controlled for the evening and we start the process of the exam and the preparation for surgery. The spay and neuter is done. They're given vaccinations. They're given uh, flea treatment. And they're also given one clip off of one tip of one ear so that they go back outside. They don't feel any pain or loss of function from that. But they're outside with some dignity that says, hey, I've been taken care of. You don't need to bother me anymore. And so they don't have to go through this all over again. Once that's done and they've recovered that later morning, early afternoon, the people are scheduled to come and pick them up. So they get them home and they stay in the trap. We call it their hospital bed. They stay in their hospital bed and recover for one full night. And they're monitored by the caregiver to be sure that they're doing okay. And generally speaking, a little food so they can sustain themselves. And the next morning, they return right where they were found and let go. So it's one day before surgery and one day after surgery that the actual monitoring of the cats for their safety and protection is taking place by the person who's in charge of catching them and transporting them safely to us. 
That's amazing. I was going to say, I do have actually a quick question only because I wonder if this is still the case or if this is, I don't know if this is a thing. When I, I used to work at a hospital a few years ago and we used to help with feral span neuters. I remember there was a feral cat in her backyard and, and God bless her. She somehow managed to capture it and she had a regular kennel for her own cat. She put the cat in there, brought it to the hospital. And I don't know if it was hospital policy or if there was something legally behind it, but the cat had to be in what was considered a feral trap in order for the veterinarian to even assess it because it was technically a feral cat. I'm just wondering for maybe a little PSA for anybody out there who is, I don't know, going about trying to capture a feral cat to get it medical care and whatnot. Is that a thing where you do have to bring it in, in a feral trap? If you're talking about a standard veterinarian for checkup or to investigate an injury or something like that, I think certain veterinarians may have different policies. But on behalf of veterinarians everywhere, which I am not, it's always easier to do an exam and to administer anesthesia if necessary through the bars of a trap rather than reaching into getting a cat that's just very unpredictable out of a carrier. We get that from time to time. People do come in with a carrier. It was so easy. I got it in the carrier. And we're like, yeah, easy yeah. <laughs> for you. They, you know, maybe the cat knows you and he's a little comfortable with your food dish, but we've got 50 cats sitting around waiting to go into the surgery room and they're all hearing each other. And it, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bug. We will transfer the cat into a trap so that it can go. And our policy is every cat in a trap gets an ear tip. And every cat that's not going to get an ear tip will come through some small portion of what we do as pet cats. They're not really pet cats. Let me clarify that with stray paws. There are colonies of cats and they tend to multiply. And before the neighbor knows it, there's eight or 10 cats next door and they're drifting over. And sometimes we get out there and we're trapping as we have to trap them all, get them all fixed. But we run across some youngsters, some real little ones that don't necessarily always have to go back into the colony. Some people prefer the kittens stay there with the mom and they watch over them, which is fine if it's a safe enough area and they're used to it. A lot of times it's difficult to take a young kitten and socialize it. But in the event where all things are looking pretty right for youngsters to be removed from the colony and find a good home and rescue, we provide that service as well. So if you're out trapping a colony and you're getting two cats, four cats, six cats, and oh, we found kittens and they're old enough to leave the mom and everything is good, take them home because they're social and I'm going to get them vaccinated and treated and then bring them in when they're ready for surgery. We'll come back and offer that as a sort of a connection to the trapping of the colony. And then we will do no tip in carriers, not traps, it's a better way for us to distinguish who gets what during the day, even though we label it. All cats and traps get ear tipped and all cats and carriers do not. So they're known to be friendly. Mm -hmm. Some of them are friendlier than others, but <laughs> we have to be careful with just because it's a carrier doesn't mean the cat's really ready for all of what we're doing. So we're very, very cautious and everything is done by professional hands that are very kind and, and considerate and calming. So whatever the situation is, we're blessed to be working with some of the best in the business. Thank you so much for that. Because I was thinking that to myself of like, who are these vets asking for probably one of the tougher jobs? Sydney has told me in the past, she's like, 
when a cat would come in and this is your everyday domesticated cat who is very sweet to his owner. They don't have fun. Yeah. Yet is very upset. So I can only imagine with feral and stray cats that they are like, why am I inside? What is happening? There are too many big people here. It feels like a rough situation for a a veterinarian. It is. House cats are more unpredictable. We have a sort of policy that says in all traps, cats are guilty till proven innocent. (laughs) We always make sure we're treating them, even though they're cute and they're quiet. We're not taking anything for granted. The unexpected. Yeah. Because they're quick and they don't give you, like a dog will growl and, and things like that. I think a majority of the time when we had an issue or with like an aggressive cat or things like that, they just can't, they can snap on an instant and you don't have any forewarning. Yeah. And if they're quiet and comfortable and they're not showing signs of aggression, it's just that much easier to give them a little anesthesia. But if there are some that'll really start turning around on you in the morning, the trap is a much easier way to contain them and corner them and slip one in that they're not expecting. And then before you know it, it's all easy from there. And they do a really good job. And the cats are really well monitored, especially after the surgery, of course. And we teach people how to do that at home keep their eyes open so that that first night is a a real progressive one that they're staying alert and they're resting comfortably later on and that they're they're ready to go and uh, the surgery is just amazing it's a different procedure in most cases than what standard veterinarian hospitals will do when they're possibly doing three or four surgeries a day and we're doing about 40 so it's a high volume effort and The practice is very efficient, very intricate, and it heals that quick so that they can rest very still in a contained trap overnight, clean, comfortable. And then in the morning, once you lift the veil in the yard and they realize where they are, you let them go. They wander off safely to where they came from, finish a little more rest perhaps, but they've done what they needed to. And that was to stay calm and get through the recovery. The rest has been very, very, very successful after that. Seems like such a unique take that you have on this. Like I love how you're referring to like trappers as caregivers and like that degree of kindness. It feels very like almost rebranded, especially when you think about like maybe like a few decades back, people might have like looked at cats in their yard as this big nuisance and it's like so difficult for them. But I love how you're basically like outlining, okay, here's how you take this to the next level and treat all the animals in our world with a level of kindness and compassion. One of the most rewarding things that I experience with whatever I do is getting people to understand there's an alternative, that there is a safe, kind way to show your children and your grandchildren that nature should be respected and that what this does works. There's no need to be angry about things. In fact, once you get started, you start to feel better. As a person, I've seen this and my I have a very favorite story I'll share with you in a minute, but the, the caregivers, the trappers, and the people who generally call in because it's happening at their house, or there's a feeder who goes out, and not that they're supposed to go out there and throw food all over the city. They're there just to make sure that some of the tougher colonies that are struggling have a little sustenance. Our mission isn't to make them fat and lazy. Our mission is to just give them some support enough so that they're scarce, they're hunting, they're doing the things that are athletic and life-saving on their own. They have to be able to get out of trouble. So 
we always tell people if they're in the backyard, hey, you know, they're they're living a good life. You're taking care of this. But if they're kind of laying around a little more and after surgery, sometimes that metabolism changes, you might want to drift back on the food a little bit so that they get away from trouble pretty quick. Stay slim, stay active. That's the good thing for the cats. And and a lot of people realize that it, it's a process of learning more than just a feeling about how much you love the cats, but a way to give them a healthy, supportive aftercare. And when we deal with trappers, who are all volunteers, it's in their heart that they do this. It's not that we come around and say, you have to do anything. They come to us because it is a passion for a lot of us and the trappers, especially because they come in every week, not just their backyard. They're finding trouble here. They're finding a neighborhood there. They're getting calls from friends and they go and do this. And they're just relying us for the resources. And we line it up, we schedule it up. And we, again, we count on some of the best practitioners that are out there. Well, and I love that you started in your own backyard too. And then that translated into you making this video resource. So it's that much more accessible for everyone to learn how to treat animals, how to take care of these cats in this time that they would potentially like, I mean, who knows how people were trapping animals just when they were looking through their garage, whatever they can trap them in. That sounds incredibly unique too. And I imagine it must've been especially helpful during the pandemic, offering a video resource for people, right? Right. We had some difficulties in the pandemic timeframe to find surgery available. Brick and mortar veterinarians were unavailable for a long time. Uh, Spay-neuter clinics were not running. And so last year in the spring of 2020, we had a lot of missed opportunities. We didn't trap and fix a lot of the females who had the kittens last spring and then had another litter in the summer while those kittens in the fall joined mom and having kittens in the fall. And you know, here we are with three generations and four litters. It's just been incredible. Everybody's out there doing their hardest work to try and catch up on this, but COVID put us behind, that's for sure. And I will say though, that with Stray Paws and the resources we had for mobile surgery, we got out of that trouble quicker, quicker than most, because the external surgery units were much more acceptable during the pandemic. And we did a lot of outdoor check-in and in interaction with people at distances and outside. In fact, it's worked so well, we're going to keep it that way. We're not going to line up inside anymore. So we kind of learned something from the pandemic that helped our operations along the way. We never stop. We never quit. We got to keep doing We got to keep finding ways. I love that so much. It's been quite a year though. It's been a real challenge. I think for so many of us, but I love that it's become a situation that you have actually improved upon your past. Um, So it's like, although it was forced change, it's ending up beneficial for everyone. Yeah. Now I know on your website, I just want to touch on this briefly because I know it is like just a very sad thought. There's some mention of the fact that it is legal currently to poison cats. There is some legalities, and I'm not really up to the minute on those rules and regulations. I think there are challenges on certain 
laws and regulations that are kind of between the lines and we're trying to stop that. We're trying to make clear, distinct legislature that says you are not to harm animals in any way, even in the consequences of doing something else. Well, I'm not poisoning the cats. I'm trying to poison the rats. It's still a bad spot. It's about any animal. It's about any toxic ingredient that involves the control of animal population. It all trickles down into a madness of sad, ineffective practices. Now, one guy lost his dog. He said he got he got a sickness from a cat when it wasn't a cat at all that got sick. It was the poison the guy was putting in his garage up the street. And it was for the rats and the cats got it, the dog got it, and the dog suffered three separations of the process. It's really a lot of what to do about people who don't look hard enough to find a better solution, mistreating animals as if it's going to go away. I don't know what to say too much about the legislature. There's a, there's a department that we are working with in our organization to keep up on that. The hope and I think the best ambition we have about that on our website is to join everybody to be ready for anything and to make sure that if any of those legislations go a little bit one way or the other in that gray area, we're ready to say no. We're ready to say, look, there's a lot of people that don't want to see that type of law or that type of change or that type of ambiguity. We're going to be real clear about this. This world shouldn't have to be suffering. The abuse of animals and especially when we've got generations behind us that understand and want, they don't feel comfortable with that. In the old days, like you said, oh, it was easy. Just get them out, trap and throw them in the field. Not so good. So the more we know, the more we can, we can teach people. Is there a specific question to the uh, message on our, on our web? Um, not necessarily. I just wanted to touch on that fact because it was a bit shocking to me. Mm-hmm. I think overall, when we talk to different rescues around the country, there are a lot of shocking like laws currently about what is considered legal, illegal when it comes to abuse, when it comes to breed. I think there there is this assumption that people have that all our laws are built around this very humane practice and this humane like appreciation for animals and a sort of respect. And more and more, I think we're learning as we talk to individuals, it's just not the case. Yeah. And you're right. If there's anything I've learned over the last two years is when you look at a big picture and you try to rewrite that or redraw that big picture, there's a lot of wiggle, change, uh, misinformation, things that can say, oh, that's not really true. I have found that where we moved into El Monte, for example, What we did and practiced was brought to the attention of the city of El Monte, and the city of El Monte loved it. The city, the town of El Monte and their city council got behind the TNR program that we were going to run. The animal control officers of El Monte, we affectionately call EMAC, El Monte Animal Control really embraced what we were doing. Their jobs of going out there and intimidating people with too many cats or threatening and citing people for feeding cats in their backyard really turned around quickly. 
when we were able to get together with them and show a process of a more kinder solution for people who liked the cats and people who didn't like the cats, it worked for both. And so we had a way to settle down a lot of neighborhood problems. And when animal control showed up, the neighbors were more receptive. So I like to work in these smaller pockets in these communities that tend to show from the ground up the changes that need to be made. And pretty soon we may not need to write any rules in the county or state laws about this, that it will be the effectiveness of every small town that has an opportunity to do it better and feels proud of what they're doing and more organic about what they're doing. And, you know, I can touch base a little more about what I, what we're planning to do in every town to make TNR everywhere be the solution. Yeah, absolutely. Because it does seem like that is like a big part of your, your platform and your mission is the idea of accessibility and making trapping and caring for an animal like the easy go-to solution. Whereas I think that's why other people would turn to more hazardous solutions. And it's like, no, if this is the easy, smart way to do this, then why wouldn't you rent a trap? Yeah. Borrow, it's free. Borrow ours, they're free. Just be sure you do something safe and humane with the animal. Bring them to us to get fixed. Bring them to your own doctor. Bring them when they're injured. Do something to help out. If you've taken the leap to get sort of involved with what's around you, then why exclude everything? Make it harmonious. Make it well-balanced and enjoy this. We're all too crowded. It's the neighbors that I think are a little bumping their heads, but you know, if you look around you and you you see that there's a certain number of animals outside that they're meant to be there, you just, you can kind of not be too involved with them and you can be involved with them enough. But we really do need to know that there is some sort of a line there that these are nature's animals. These are animals with a job, just like squirrels have to hunt and store. And then we've got birds that do a lot of protection for their own nest. And we've got all these animals, even the bigger ones that are meant to be there. And if we don't encourage them to be too involved is as what would be many, many outdoor pets, then we can offer them the solution that they need so that nobody's going to be upset with them. And that is just a little support, a lot of free roaming of nature to be a part of, which they obviously like to be a part of. And we can honor them from a little bit of a distance. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it sounds like you, you've you partnered with so many different, like whether it be like government organizations, you've mentioned that you're kind of like nestled between like two shelters. I'm not sure if that was strategic because you're like, this is a, a dead zone or something where that, where they didn't quite reach or if you wanted to just have easy access to shelters. Well, these two bigger shelters have a lot of jurisdiction. They cover a lot of territory. And they were, I think, in the hardest ability to do what a shelter should, to protect and preserve life and find a way to give restorative care to these animals. It became, well, they have to take them in and they can't do anything with them and they're euthanizing. And it was just very hard. Uh, because they're in an area where it's so congested. So we wanted to be near that. We wanted to be able to give some relief to the shelters. And not only that, but by 
trapping and neutering and returning the cats to the outdoors and on the ground level, I think we're the biggest part of rescue there is. We're not overloading the need for fosters and we're not overloading the need for um, rescue organizations and we're not overloading the need to intake cats to the shelters. So this is where we need the support. We need funding for TNR. In fact, we're busy showing the local community leaders that you're paying more in euthanization bills than you would be paying to do this. If you could open some resources to have spay-neuter surgeries with doctors who can do high volume, even if it's once a week, you can see a reduction and a budget savings. And our mission is to make, like I said, TNR in every town. There's a place to do this. There's a place where everybody can be taught how to do this and have local access. And they don't have to drive from one end of LA County to the other to try and fight their way in for what is an overcrowded intake of surgery practices when surgery should be available everywhere. That's so interesting that you say that because I know we've spoken with some international rescues Mm -hmm. who out of necessity, it was illegal to euthanize animals. And so they turned to TNR and I know it did end up being very beneficial for their program. Oh yeah. They made such a huge turnaround and it became this really lovely holistic way to like appreciate animals and want the best for them, but not like force them into, into a different direction, <laughs> into a euthanization and kind of have like start that clock ticking where they basically have several days to make an impact on a adopter or face the consequences. Yeah, that's, that's the hard, hardest thing at all. And, and even the ones that are pretty feral that come in, there's a certain amount of hold time So they're sitting in a cubicle and they're very stressed out. And then they have to have a doctor come in and say something like, well, this is needs to be euthanized. And then they put the poor cat to sleep. And it just seems to be a rather unproductive process to get anything better. We're just taking cats away doesn't do the job. We have to alter them. We have to make sure that they're in a colony that they're used to, that they're healthy, they're not reproducing. And they're keeping other cats away. It's easy to go take 10 cats away from a few neighbors. But guess what? In a month or two, there's going to be 10 more because it's a cat crowd. And they find a place where cats used to be. No one's pushing them out anymore. So, hey, guess what? we got 10 more cats. And how did that happen? We got rid of them all. You didn't get rid of them all. You just moved them. And it's not fair to just exchange or push them in a direction like you said. They're not supposed to go. It doesn't help the situation, doesn't help the cat. This is the only program that really helps the people in the neighborhood as well as the cats. And everybody lives stronger and happier. And I had one guy, and I love talking about educating because our mission at Spray Paws is to help anybody who needs it. We have a service area. Obviously, we can't cover all territories, but we want to help everybody who needs it. And Sometimes they're just not able to do the whole job. I've got elders who can't transport the cats or somebody has a problem overnighting them. So we'll find somebody who can step in and do that, or we'll get our van and we'll pick it up from them and make sure that they can do whatever they can and we'll fill in the gaps. But the biggest gap is the education. The first engagement of what we try to do and teach people is right there. 
once they learn that and they say, oh, I can do all of this, or I can do everything but that, and let's get to it. And then we have to say, well, let's see if we have any appointments left. I mean, but <laughs> we need more resources, but we are working on getting enough of it going and making sure that the people in our territory are serviced well. We have some of the best changes in my experience are from the education process. We had a guy walk in at one of the clinics I worked at and he came in during check-in and he just started pounding the counter saying, you know, I got cats in the backyard and I got to get rid of them. And I said, oh, I stepped up. And I heard I was just volunteering at the clinic. I said, can I talk to you over here? Let me, let me take you over here and show you what we do. And so they continued to check in because I, I noticed all the trappers were in the lobby with their jaws dropped hearing this. So I took them into the side and I told them what we do. And I, and I told them, I said, do you think you could try and do this? Because it really works. I said, I mean, I'm a little worried you're going to do something else. So I want to give you a chance to try this and I'll trust you and give you a couple of traps if you promise to bring them in. And he said, all right, I'll give it a try. And he came in two days or three days later on his appointment schedule with two cats in the traps. And you should have seen him. The traps were on the, on the rack and he's waiting for someone to check them in. And he's looking around the room. He's peeking under the cover and he's like, look what I did. Look what I did. It's all over his face. <laughs> And so they checked him in and he was very proud of what he did. And he went out and he got home and he got the other two or three over a couple of weeks. And he comes in to turn the traps back in and he sets them down on the ground and he's checked out. And he says to the girl at the counter, he says, you know, ever since I started this, I built a little place in the back corner of the yard so they have somewhere safe to kind of hang out when they need to. Is there any kind of food you recommend? I want to make sure they're okay. Boom. There we go. Change of heart, change of mind. And here's a guy now who will never, ever think of an animal's situation as a problem. I mean, cats may lead the way to better practices for every animal out there because we have so many cats and so many ways to handle this particular issue that I'm hoping it just resonates to all animal situations. What do I do about rats? Well, let's find out if there's a humane rat population control center somewhere or Put some cats outside, let them duke it out. I don't know. That's a part of the process. It's part of nature. But it all comes together with kindness in our own rights that there's people who are willing to learn. And I think that if I run across those who won't, I tend to let that go. But it was a, it was a strong a winning situation when that guy came back and realized that he's doing something. And by the way, he only had five cats. It sounded like he wanted to get rid of 15 of them when he came in. And I found out it was only four or five cats. I said, oh, this will be wonderful. Let me make it easy and everything else. That guy turned around as so many do. Our mission is to get to everybody we can. And I want to teach this from kindergarten to college so that all of the people that are there, the teachers, the kids, everybody who's involved gets to understand that this is the way to be. And if the kids need to teach their parents, they'll do it. So we can teach them how to tell, tell mom and dad how to be better about this. I love the story so much because I feel like when people think TNR and they think like cat rescue, they have this idea of who that person is and who's involved with that. It's like a crazy cat lady or like things <laughs> like that. But when you told that story, I feel like I'm envisioning like my grandpa who is like a very much like Marine Clint Eastwood type who like grew up on a farm. And like, I think you spoke to him in a way where it's not like, it's like, hey, the world around you and animals that are like work in the environment. And I feel like it's 
it's such a different way to talk to people about what is going on with cat populations. Yeah. Most of the people are receptive. Even the pandemic may have had something to play with that, Mm -hmm. where people lost socialization, people weren't able to be out doing their usual things. And I think that there was been a sensitivity among people to try and find that respect, wear the masks, keep it separate, do what you can, vaccine or not controversy and all that, but we're all vaccinated. And I'm safe to say that we went through the pandemic very careful and knock wood, none of us at Straight Paws had to be excused. But it was uh, was a time when people, I think, were looking for something to unify about and they missed that. So I see a lot of reception this year from people who are calling in and saying, oh, my friend told me about this and told me to call you. Okay, we take them through the education process and they're they're downright enthusiastic. Wow, when do I get started? I'm really happy that all the time that I spent learning and developing our location and what we want to do has, I think, come at the right time for many reasons. Just it's come at the right time. We are doing such a good job with the El Monte area that other community organizations are calling us from La Puente and from Monterey Park and from a different shelter system. They all want to know what's going on. They all want to know how they can make this happen. And if they're willing to support it, then we can show them how. Our mission is to get busy and do more TNR and example TNR in places that need it. We're actually building one of our own trucks to do spay-neuter surgery so we can take it to towns and have spay-neuter operations going on outside, show the city this is doable. They can maybe support and sponsor more of those clinics. We'll build more buses. But our first one is underway now. It's a huge campaign for us financially. We're trying to take everything and develop what we call flagship one. We're going to make this first one and have it uh, high volume spay neuter, primarily cats, but cats and dogs will be welcome on days that we have that. We were searching for a location. You say we've got the right spot between the two shelters and you're right, but We spent six months looking for a location that was in the vicinities and would allow us to work with animals. Now, there was an education problem because we talk about what great tenants we are and what we want to do and medically this and that. But as soon as it came up about animals, it was, oh, no, we can't have animals. These are warehouse operations. These aren't uh, high-rise specialty elevators running for people up and down. But you'd be amazed how... It was hard to find locations to do this because it involved animals. Even on just the transport application, we weren't even talking about surgery at the time, but there was a hard thing to get to. But we finally found one. And not only, like I said, did it line us up with the city of El Monte and the animal control and a certain organization that is fully loaded with a lot of spay-neuter trucks that came to help. And it's still helping. I'm not even sure I can mention them at this point, but they've saved us and a lot of lives in this general area we're serving. The neighbor that we got involved with happened to be a part of a rescue and had some motorhomes that he reclaimed from an old Walgreens wellness tour where people would go and get blood pressure checks and flu shots, and they were all over the country. And when they retired these wagons, this guy who wanted to do something about spay neuter as well, 
I don't know how we got so next door to each other. And this was, he donated one to us. Ah, we picked up a bus that was medically oriented and lined inside for lighting and walls and floors and even had a pop out where they had three little exam curtains so people could go in and do this. So we're retrofitting that one bus. We're going to build the pop out full of of condos and a preparation line on one side and a surgical suite in the back. And we've got the bus given to us on a blessing, on a extended star that lined up with everything else. And this does this gentleman and his sister have been so kind to give us this beginning unit. We found another person who is willing to install the cabinetry. We're in the middle of getting ready to do that. And then once we're done with that, we're raising funds now for all the medical equipment. That's all we have to do is install surgical tables and anesthesia and all the things that go with it. It's about $75,000, but Compared to some of the $300,000 units, we're going we're gonna to kick butt. We're going to be out there doing a lot of this and doing it in towns that couldn't do it before. So a little in our neighborhood and then out to Long Beach or out towards the Inland Empire, or out to the areas that need it, or out to the surrounding towns that say, well, what is this all about? Well, not only would we want you to come and see us, we'll show you, we'll bring it to you and we'll set it up and say, this could be done. This could be done in some surgical area near you that's already probably involved with your community and would be willing to offer that. And you get the doctors and you get the trappers and you get the people in your neighborhood to bring them on a day and we'll teach them. We'll teach all of them how to manage themselves so that it works for the city. And the city will say, this has been great. And they can start teaching everybody from kindergarten to college that this is what they do. And they can have the same big grin that I have every day they go to work. Oh my gosh. That is an amazing way to repurpose that like trailer. I mean, that's just like the smartest. Yeah. It's amazing. Also, I have to point out, like, I know rental laws are really hard for people when they try to own animals or bring animals in, but I didn't even think about the correlation of uh, businesses or rescues trying to find a place that's acceptable, like to bring animals even just briefly in. I didn't think about that. And I think it, it is shocking and it should not be the case. My opinion is concerned, but that's such an important point, I think. I have to ask, because we, we did talk with another rescue a little while back. A big part of their rescue was a TNR and they were on the East Coast. And I know they said that they actually participated with a shelter and won an award for their TNR efforts. And I thought it was a real fun like way to compete. The idea that a rescue could win an award for the most TNR. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was wondering if that was like nationwide or if you'd heard anything like that, but it sounds like... I haven't. No, that sounds brilliant. I think everybody should be competitive to be involved with TNR into a level that sets the bar and the, and the numbers and everything it should be shared. It should be a friendly competition and a way to make sure that every shelter has an option to do that. There's a lot of shelters in Southern California and they have surgical suites and they do spay neuter for the adoptable animals that come and go through there. And that's very uh, understood. But if they could open those chambers once or twice a week, and some of them are starting to, 
you can get 40 animals in, a, in there in the morning and make a difference in your own neighborhood. And I think that's the goal is to put shelters to work, work on behalf of the county, work on behalf of the city that they're in so that they can be supported to do that. Uh, and the, the money going in just for housing and euthanasia shouldn't, should be put to use elsewhere. And I think that there's no more rewarding area than to treat the animals the way these adoptable animals get treated. And that's the respect and the worry that they're going to multiply, that they're going to be a problem. So they're not adoptable until they're fixed. Fixing does same wonderful, caring, and complete support that are needed for animals that don't have homes. And I think for cats anyway, they're the ones that just have so many litters and so many repetitive pregnancies. And there's a kitten season on the East Coast in most of New York. And there's a kitten season somewhere in the Northwest where they're not so overwhelmed by the population. But here, it's a year-round breeding cycle. And we have stopped a lot of it. And I think that when we get to a point where this block of the neighborhood has been treated well, they're all in agreement that we're happy and we don't see as many cats. They're still out there. Their behavior is more compatible. And their charm and their personality hasn't changed, but the effectiveness of the TNR has brought a sense of decency to everybody. We are working really hard to try and develop what's called high-intensity TNR practices in the city of El Monte. We're taking a section of a zip code and trying to get all of that area reported with cat counts and TNR each address that has to be. We're trying to get 75% of that done in six months and go back and continue another six months to try and get at least 75% of what's left and then monitor and maintain going forward with the people that are in the community to keep picking and choosing when it comes up, those that know how, and therefore create a solid, fully blanketed TNR project completed to an area that now says, hey, what about the next town? And what about the next one? And duplicate that again with the need of the community supporting their efforts and having availability for spay neuter. There is an example we're trying to make and we're, we're working really hard on that. It's, uh, it's just getting started. Incredible. Yeah. I love the way you're talking about this too, because I feel like it brings it to life in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. And I do have to say, I know you mentioned that TNR does not change personality, but it seems like it changes the personality of the people. Mm-hmm. Given your sto- your anecdote, your story that you told, I'm like, I think it changes personality, but not maybe where <laughs> you expect. I was talking about the cats and their their charming personalities. I don't know where the people came from. Hopefully, if they're frustrated, it's temporary. And if they're if they were started that way a long time ago, it just gets better. I, I do think that it is nice that everybody who does try to catch cats and get them fixed is very understanding our limitations on certain dates and things like that. They're all very understanding. What we provide is a free service. That's the other side I haven't mentioned. The ability to borrow traps and bring cats in and get them fixed and vaccinated and treated for fleas and everything else costs nothing with us. It's hard on us to get out there and keep looking for the funding. But when we work with the organizations that are 
supporting the the medical side of it, it's like being a millionaire. There's the ability there that's provided for us to create sustainability, to create an ongoing support so that more and more clinics can run this way is our objective. And that is to show, first of all, that city budgets are going to be saved by doing this rather than what they've been doing. So it can happen. That's why I'm not going to give up until they realize that it's already in their power to do so. Love that so much. We do kind of have some fun questions to end with. Not that this hasn't been fun, but I'm wondering with all this talk, do you have animals or cats in your home? I do. We have dogs, cats, birds, and that's it right now. (laughs) Looking around. What else do we have hidden around here? It seems at the door right now. So, but no, we've been, uh, we've all been based upon that here since we were little. My wife and I, um, we got a number of cats. I'll say just the right number. It starts very early in the morning and there's a lot of vacuuming and cleaning and we, we do, and we've managed to be supportive together. And that's the critical part too. So with that, having definitely partner who's not involved. You got to have it. You got to be together on that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, so I have to ask. So if one of your cats could talk, what would be the first thing they said? Wow. Do you have a cat with a particular attitude? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got one who's a mama's boy. He was a bottle baby and he uh, gives my wife a lot more than I do. So that's one that would always go towards my wife. I think that what they would say is that they're really happy to be moving around with a bunch of company and their favorite time is when we sit in the middle of them and they all get to pound on our laps and play on our shoulders. So we're able to make sure that they're in general wanting to be together and really enjoying our company as much as we enjoy theirs. That's the common call from them. There are a few that either just won't leave you alone and will push up against you and walk all over your keypad and and they just know they have to be attached to you. And then there are the ones that are very selective, but they're all very good together. I have learned that what they say is usually in secret. What they say to us, it's sometimes manipulating. (laughs) (laughs) Good words. I think that's fair. A fair assessment. (laughs) They know how to get what they want. And uh, we love giving it to them. But it's it's, it's a good group. Uh, Even our ferals outside have become friendly enough. My wife is petting them. And I get away with that. But she's she's usually off uh, and working with them. I think the average life expectancy for feral cats is somewhere around six years, give or take, which seems small. The ones, thank goodness, the ones that we have outside have been living for about 10 years now since I started working on getting them fixed. Only one disappeared and we've got four that still come around and they're very regular. And we live in Coyote Central. So it's up in the Altadena area where the hills and the roads meet And so they've found goodness in being up and back in the yards and over the roofs. And they're pretty reliable. We see them every day and the neighbors know them and they're smart. I wish the outdoor cats, the 
colony cats that we have could speak a little more to our indoor cats at the window and tell them to behave a little better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Well, so our other question is, is there a rescue or shelter that you like have a big crush on that you love the work they're doing? Yes. And it's in Austin, Texas (laughs) (laughs) on another three-day apprenticeship for working cats for what would be called barn cats. I was still at the other organization volunteering. And when they offered this fly and return and overnighting hotel and teaching three days of how to integrate a feral cat from the shelter into a safe working environment, I was blessed and proud that they chose me to go. Mm -hmm. I went to a group in Austin, Texas, where the city shelter is right along the main thoroughfare that goes in and out of the city of Austin. So you can't miss it. It's a total no-kill city. They respect every animal, even the bats. They've got a bat bridge where there's thousands of bats that live there. And on the end of the bridge, they've got sort of like a, not a hall of fame, but I guess an information center. So they really honor all that goes on in this city. And, And what they showed me was how careful they were with every cat and dog and how all of the city got together to help and understand their mission. And they had hundreds of volunteer fosters that one time a a huge rainstorm came in and they were up to their boots in water and they had to get the dogs and animals out of the shelter. And they hit one button and 65 volunteers showed up to take dogs home for the weekend. And with the training of these other cats that go into the shelter, they were sometimes the shelter would pick them out as feral and send them over to this program. And even then, it wasn't just a rush to judgment. It was an enclosure that they could hop. But once they got in there, if they started to gravitate more toward the people, well, guess what? This is not a feral cat. It will go back to the shelter and get adopted. But after they determined and the wellness was taken care of, they had a really good program of finding them a feral home where they were on a ranch or they were in a winery or, and and this is doable in Southern California. There are a couple of groups that are doing that here. And I think they are taking them out of the shelter and duplicating that effort. A lot of times we want to just bypass the shelter. Sometimes there's a construction going on, or there's a very dangerous area for the cats to be in. We would like to be able to take those cats and condition them for a transition to a barn or a winery or a ranch. And so we're working on that. That's kind of a a longer view to what we would like to do in the future. But Austin Pets Alive. Mm -hmm. I was going to say Austin must have their act together because we did speak with them, I believe, a few weeks back. And they're doing incredible things. Just hearing them, they're, they're very, I think, progressive with the policies that they're trying to implement and what they're trying to do with the community. So I had a feeling that that was the one you were talking about. As soon as you said Austin, I was like, I bet it's that one. Yeah, they they were amazing. They were truly amazing. They took a lot of stigma. What do you call it? The stigmatism out of certain conditions. Around here, you hear ringworm and I'll never adopt that cat again. What? What do you mean? It's a rash. Get rid of it. They even campaigned a cutest little Christmas campaign that had this kitten with a Santa hat on and it said, take home a furry fungusy friend for the holiday. <laughs> you know, and they give you what you need and they waive the adoption fee and they just show you how to give them a bath and take care of the thing goes away. And out here it's like taboo and it's all these other things. 
they make clarity so much better as i guess just bringing it out in a in a more comfortable way and not taking an old way of thinking about something and keeping it that way so they change they change a lot of heart, minds and hearts too i really really appreciate them well and i know when i visited them i feel like they have the most affectionate cats i've ever met in my whole life I walked into that room and you'd think I had catnip hidden all over my body. Like it was like, they're crawling all over me. And I'm like, what do you guys do to these cats? Yeah. (laughs) In too good a mood. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. We do have one last question and it is a little bit more philosophical, but we're wondering if there is one like life motto or mantra that you live by. Oh, it's hard to find time to even give yourself when you work like this, I practice the daily calm now on my phone every day for 15 mm-hmm. minutes. I get a, a good benefit from that. But I think it's like a file cabinet up here. I, I know I got a good one for you and it's just not popping up. But uh, it, it really is slow down and think of where you are and what you're going to try and do next. Or if things become frustrating and intense is handling that really going to benefit right now you know can you put some things on hold that don't matter and focus on what you're doing at the time and slow down and really appreciate what you do a lot of times we work so hard that it goes without anybody having a chance to thank you and you we're all used to that but sometimes you got to thank yourself you really got to realize that you're doing something good and not worry about the things you miss or worry about the things that are that didn't work out so well. You're doing a lot of good things and you should really appreciate what you do. Okay, that's an amazing thing to take away. And that that's going out to all of our animal rescuers that listen in because I feel like it's so easy for the bad stuff to feel like hold of you um, and to really keep you down, even if you've done a hundred amazing things and then one thing didn't work out. So I feel like that's a message to everyone out there. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I think in rescue, especially, I mean, we do spay-neuter surgery. We do the teaching and the trappings come, I mean, but especially in the rescue world and with what we do, because we do, we do deal with some difficult people. It's almost 50-50. You're going to be frustrated half of the time. And the other half of the time has to make up for that. You got to find more joy. Half of joy should be a lot more rewarding than the half of disappointment. And that's what you got to do. You got to always take two to three times more pride and reward in the joy of what you're doing. And the other stuff hurts, but you have to really appreciate the good you're doing. So true. Joseph, thanks so much for chatting with us. This has been incredible. And we're so excited to see how many trucks you end up on the, end up on the road. <laughs> Well, we are going to try. We're going to try and have a several of them. The man next door who had this one donated to us has a few more. He took everything Walgreens could get for him. And he's, um, he's planning to make sure that they're helpful and to give us the first one. It's on our website when we exchanged the pink sheet. And it was just, I get real cheery eyed when I think about this, especially to put that hope and trust in what we're doing. So we're determined to outfit it. We're, we're trying to find the, money to raise. We're getting there. And I think by first of the year, we should have something operational. We've been at this for a while. It didn't just turn real quickly here and it's coming right away. 
it's been um, about nine months of prep and planning and trying to get things going, but we're hoping by the first year we have something that'll turn. Amazing. Thanks so much. Well, thank you all very much as well. I appreciate that opportunity for Straight Paws to speak with you anytime. Give us a call. I really enjoy bringing the news. And if those that want to contact us can go to our website and find out more about what we do. Perfect. Joseph did something absolutely amazing. He made the practice of TNR incredibly riveting. We're so impressed by all the effort he's going through to change his community and to make a process that other people can replicate. If you want to learn a little bit more about Stray Paws Animal Haven, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. And be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.